Welcome to this live episode of the Coffee and Issues podcast with Carol Bernard and Michael Lejeune. Today's topic is procurement readiness. And so, Michael, if somebody were to ask me, what does it take me to win contracts with the government or what do I need to do to become procurement ready? Because I've heard that buzzword being used around the government marketplace. I really, truly don't understand what that means or, or how do I get there for me? And I understand why that is a hard question to answer. And my first response would be, it depends. It depends on what you're buying, who you're trying to sell to. The VA has developed actually a procurement readiness guide, which has all kinds of checkpoints on it, like get your SAM registration, get your certification, get a capability statement, watch SAM. Those are all good things to do, but some people don't even require that. For example, if you were to sell a product on Amazon and the government happens to be buying from Amazon, you might not even see them coming, right? So they may actually be able to purchase that product with you unintentionally. You weren't registered on SAM, but were you procurement ready? What did it take to get you procurement ready at that point? Well, the ability to accept credit cards at that level. At other levels of higher up, you need to maybe get registered at SAM. But I wanted to share with you a story of ours and something that I've also observed as I've worked with a lot of contractors over the years. And it's it's a very common thing that happens. You see this great opportunity that you open it up and you're just like, oh my, you know, this is perfect for us, but we can't go after this because of this other thing that you just don't have at the ready. But I want to turn to Michael real quick and... Michael, I'm sure you've seen this a lot as well in your career when you were doing government contracting from some of the clients. Do you want to share maybe a story? We can start out maybe with a couple of stories because I know you've got one and I'm guessing that you've got one that maybe you can share on an example. And I want to share one of mine. And then what I'd like to do is kind of go into some suggestions on things people can do to really make themselves procurement ready. And what I really truly like to call it is opportunity ready, because really it's going to be more specific to an opportunity than just an overall, I'm generally procurement ready for everything. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really good topic. And I found there's a couple of different types of people. There's the people that really prepare and do all their due diligence and get ready for what they're doing. And they ask a lot of questions. Those people tend to be the slow starters, but have a lot of the answers. And then there's people like me who just start. And so I'm usually compared to the guy that like jumps out of the airplane and builds the parachute on the way down type of guy or whatever. Like, like I'm just going to get started and I'll figure it out as I go. That's kind of how we do it. And so like when we got into government contracting 20 years ago, I don't even know if Sam existed then. I believe it did. But for us, it was like, we're just going to go 100 miles an hour and we'll figure it out. And so as we were doing it, there were a lot of mistakes. Like, how do you respond to an RFP? And then at the time, we were selling a product that we were the only people in the world that made it. So we got to bypass a lot of that stuff. And so people would come to us and basically say, I have a sole source contract for you. Really just sign here. That's kind of how a lot of my government experience was in the beginning. But then when I moved out of that and started looking at other types of businesses, that's just not the way it works. And so when it comes to like the stories there, one of the biggest things that I find for most people is just knowing how the government buys what you sell. Because you mentioned a couple of different places to be registered. SAM is obviously one of those places you need to go in and, and get that done. But you may not realize that if you sell product, you need to be registered in dibs. You may not know that if you're in the trucking industry, 
there's this massive IDIQ that's being run by this one company, and you've got to go register through their website to become a vendor. And so to me, the biggest part of like the procurement readiness up front is being able to understand how and where does the government buy what I sell so I even know where to register. That's like step one. In each of those examples I just gave, we've had clients come to us and say, why aren't there opportunities showing up on SAM? They're like, well, let's do some research. And you do research and like, ah, they're all in dibs. Or somebody comes and says, no opportunities in SAM. Oh, they're all on this trucking website. They're all in this other place. Are they not using that? And so just depending on what you sell, SAM may not be a place where you can buy anything. And Carol and I, you and I talk about this all the time. You're only going to see the scraps on there a lot of times anyway, but depending on what you sell, there's going to be one or two or other websites where that's where all of the action is for your business. And if you've never heard of it, how can you chase those opportunities? So, you know, you mentioned dibs. What is that stand for? I remember that is the, that is DLA's internet bid board system, right? I wanted to make sure I got that acronym right. Yeah. But you brought up a great point with that because first of all, it's like, where's the competition happening? So you need to know that. But secondly, the requirement to basically sell a part in the way the Defense Logistics Agency procures that part. Yep. They have to go through the process. So you get onto dibs, but you're still not procurement ready, perhaps, because maybe the government says that we're buying this part number under this national stock number. And in order for you to be able to sell under this national stock number, your product needs to go through an approval process, make sure it meets all of our very specific requirements, especially if it's military. Because, you know, the last thing the military wants to have happen is to have jets falling out of the sky, procured a substandard product. So it can be very complicated to get to that level, and it could be very simple. And that's why I think that the answer to procurement readiness is so hard, because it's really dependent upon what you're selling, how big the acquisition is going to be, what's the level of risk that the government is dealing with when they take on a small business supplier. And so they have to look at all of those factors, right? Right. So I wanted to kind of share our story because we also go after government market opportunities. And when I say government market opportunities, a lot of times I'm talking about not only federal, but also city, state, local, county, port, school district. There's all kinds of government agencies out there. And so I like to speak to that as a broader sense, you know. And really what I feel is that there's a level one procurement readiness, whereas baseline procurement readiness. And I like to think about the level one as like an agency specific. So if you want to do business with the federal government, okay, go through SAM. Typically, that's your starting point. If you want to do business with like the city of Austin, right, what is their vetting process just to get you in the pool, just to get you in the door? So if you're doing construction, for example. What does procurement readiness probably look like for you at the city of Austin doing construction? They probably want you to get registered in their vendor portal. They probably want to see some bonding and insurance and a few other things. Also that you're not on the excluded parties or the debarred contractors list, right? So if you can meet those check boxes, you can be procurement ready to do business with the agency. Now, That doesn't speak to opportunity readiness, right? So now when they put out a big project, maybe it's a $5 million construction project. Well, to be ready for that opportunity, you've got to have $5 million in bonding. 
or there may be some other factors that will require you to basically step up and provide a higher level of compliance, a higher level of financial means. And this is what makes it so hard with procurement readiness. And that's why it's so hard to really define it for one person on a general sense in a guide or in a call, because it really needs to be looked at at a specific level. I want to share a quick story, uh, Mike, because for the last five years, we've been going after some small opportunities, really on the subcontractor side. And, and that's what I tell a lot of people that are very micro enterprise. Like there's a lot of businesses that are small businesses, but a small business could be $30 million or 500 employees, or it could be, you know, $5,000 with two employees, you know, so that's also a big gap, you know, on where you're starting from. But if you're starting small, you might want to look small and start to go after some things that you can basically do. You can digest, you can perform it well. And so we've been doing this for a long time, you know, and, and working with different agencies, both directly and doing a little subcontracting. But somebody shared with us, there was a big opportunity that was really right up our alley. And we're like, read the requirements, we read the scope of work, and we were like, we can do this, so let's do it. <laughs> and so we went through this process, and this one kind of came out of left field on us. I wasn't tracking it, which that's something that I always preach in, in some of the training that we do is to forecast. Because if you can forecast, then you can study the opportunity. And what I mean by studying the opportunity is going and look at historical competitions. What happened in that competition? Who won? Why did they win? What did that solicitation look like? Now, if you can go back, and this is pretty easy to get without even asking for a, like a formal FOIA request and a public records request, you can drill it back to the person that awarded that contract and say, hey, can you share with me the solicitation that was on that last competition and also who were the incumbents? And then you can start to study that. And what you can look at is when you take a look into the solicitation, don't just look at what's inside of the scope of work because you're like, we can do that. Look at what's in the other requirements. For example, does it require a DCAA compliant accounting system? If it's a cost-based contract, does it require you to develop labor rates that you maybe don't have already? Does it require that you have to change the way you essentially do accounting for your business? Do you have to be CMMC level one ready? So every opportunity is going to bring a different challenge, but it's your job. And if you really want to get procurement readiness, and this is what happened to us, ultimately that particular opportunity that we were very well capable of doing had a requirement to submit audited financial statements. We didn't have that. We even hired experts to help us out. CPAs that specialize in GovCon. They were like, you just don't have enough time. You know, even if we wanted to do this, we can't get audited financials done in a 30-day solicitation window. You know, when you take out the weekends, you got like 21 or 22 days left. And so these solicitation periods are very short. And the very frustrating thing for a lot of small businesses is that the government, especially the federal government, buys in a lot of five-year contracts. So if you're not ready when that solicitation hits, you might not have another opportunity for the next five years, right? That's why I tell people, especially the folks that want to get into those multi-year contract vehicles to really start taking a look a couple of years in advance, start to break down that solicitation, start to actually build your content like you're going to go after it. And if it has these special requirements like cybersecurity or audits or, or whatever it is, get your product certified. You have enough time to do that. Or maybe you find that you can't go it alone, but you need to do a teaming or a joint venture arrangement. Those things take time to put in place as well. And when you can put time on your side, 
the less that you're in this frustrating situation of the perfect opportunity comes open, but then you can't pursue it. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on what I just said there? And again, I know that you've probably seen some of your clients be frustrated with some things that they saw the perfect opportunity maybe, but couldn't pursue it. I think that's probably one of the biggest frustrations in government contracting is exactly what you said. Like, hey, we're perfect for this, but we don't have time for the audit. We don't have time for this compliance. And the checklist is endless sometimes of the things they don't have. And the reason they're in that position a lot of times is either they're brand new or like I've got a client right now that's been in GovCon for three or four years and they've just started branching out from their original client base. And they're like, as we're trying to expand into new clients, new customers, there's all these requirements that we didn't have before. And the first time they're finding out about it is there's an RFP, it's on the street and they've got three weeks to respond. And my thing is always, look, I get it. If you can get ready, get ready. If not, use that as your checklist. We got to start somewhere, right? So let's use it as a checklist. You know, we had a client just the other day that came to us. They sold like residential and commercial appliances, but they only sold in a couple of states. Uh, There was like Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas, I think, were the only states they're licensed to sell because they're like a, a distributor for somebody. And my advice was, number one, who buys what you sell? Who buys what you sell? Let's figure out, like, in the government, who's buying it in those states. And then let's actually figure out who's buying what you sell. There's the agency perspective of it or the client, the top level But then there's who within that is actually buying that stuff because their challenge was, well, I just want to call the contracting officers at Fort Leonard Wood and get them to buy from us. Like, what if they don't buy your thing, right? And so, like, for them, when we looked at the data, we were like, oh, why is a contracting officer team out of Huntsville making all these purchases for these three states? And there's nobody in those three states buying it. And it's because there's a contract vehicle that is run out of Huntsville, and that's the team buying it. So in order to get procurement ready, we had to identify the who, then we had to identify the how, and then we had to figure out, can we even get on this contract vehicle? Because if we can't get on the contract vehicle, it's going to be three years or however many years. And so that's where the research phase is so important up front to procurement readiness, because I do see a lot of people that are kind of like me, you know, you dive in head first. But then you go the wrong direction. You start going down this path and it's like you're talking to the wrong people because you don't know who you need to be talking to, what your checklist even looks like. And so I think you can save a lot of time on the front end and really streamline your procurement readiness by doing that research. And it's all free, whether you're using SAM or USA Spending. I use both, bouncing data off of that. And I'm building my procurement readiness checklist based on that because I'm not just looking at historical data. I'm looking at opportunities and saying, what are they requiring? What are they requiring on these opportunities for me to do business with the government? Even if it's not in a client or a region that I want to work with, because I want to see what the government in general is requiring. I think we're talking in a way where you could use this at any level, but I prefer the Fed market to the sled market. You may have to do this for both markets. So you may have a checklist that says on the Fed market, here are the six things that I need. But on the state market, 
Here are the nine things I need for California. Here are the 11 things I need for New York. Here are the four things I need for Arkansas. Like you may have a state by state checklist as well that you're going to have to create. It just depends. Again, that's why I like the Fed market. I've got one major checklist that I'm focused on versus the multi-state market and systems that I need to be registered and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, we also had, Michael, a a person who did submit an issue, a sort of relevant really to this topic. And they were a construction firm. One of the frustrations that they've got is that they're, you know, don't have a big team and they don't have a lot of finances behind them, really. So it's like they're kind of caught in this crux, like, well, what do I do? Because if I'm doing all the admin work, I'm not in the field making money. And so there's a lot of those small owner operators out there that are like that. In that particular situation, you may actually choose to do more sled work against sleds, state, local education. But why would you might do that in that particular situation? Well, let's say you did your research. You're looking at both markets overall. What you found in the federal side is a lot of the construction opportunities go through big five-year contract vehicles that basically there's none coming up in the near future. And you're not even ready to tackle a, like a 50, usually these are like 50 to $99 million contracts, but then they will give you small contracts throughout there. It doesn't mean you're going to get $50 million, right? So those are hard contracts to win and they only select maybe a handful of people. Sometimes they can also do it where they only select one contractor. So what are your options then? Okay, well, you can subcontract to the people who are getting those opportunities and you can find that information through market research like Michael shared. But the other thing that you can do is perhaps you go back to the sled market for a little while because I used to also work at a local city agency. And I know a lot of the city agencies around the country, they basically don't have the set aside like the feds do, but they do a lot of things through basically open low bid procurements, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you could just figure out how to bid and estimate on that project, maybe you don't have to have all of the extra steps that might would have to have to do the federal side of things, you know? Yeah. And that's a good point. And when people think a lot of times about procurement readiness, I think a lot of folks just focus on where am I registered? Do I have my statuses, certifications, all those kind of things? Even the stuff we've been talking about today, where one of the things to accelerating your performance in government and being procurement ready for the government is having past performance. And you can enter this market and really have an uphill battle if you've never done this, whatever this business is that you have. So if you decided, hey, I'm working for a construction company and I'm really tired of working for that guy that runs the business. So I'm going to go start my own construction company and I'm going to go win government contracts. And then you have zero past performance with your new company. So part of your challenge to becoming procurement readiness is you've got to go win something. Right. You know, so go win some small contracts at that city level or whatever it may be and get some of those under your belt. Yes, you can map your past experience to the government, but that's a harder sell. The other thing is teaming. I think people, for whatever reason, I I think teaming just has this dark cloud over it to some degree when I think it's one of the best things you can do is to accelerate your procurement readiness as you're going through and you're getting registered in the websites, you're getting your statuses, you're getting whatever schedule, if you need that sort of thing, you go and you find some teaming partners. 
you know, you get some sub work so you can actually learn the business. And those things go into being procurement ready for you to be a prime. That's almost prime ready is almost what you would call it. Like it's hard to be prime ready when you're brand new, you have zero experience, zero past performance, and you're trying to figure out how to be a government contractor and also, you know, how to do the work. There's just a lot to juggle there. So getting past performance is another piece of being prime ready, if that's another level in this whole scenario here. Yeah, and you know, subcontracting in some instances, you know, once they build a relationship with that partner that they're subcontracting with as a sub, if that's where they go first. When there's a opportunity, they could flip that around perhaps and have that prime contractor in the last opportunity be their subcontractor to support them. But that also takes time, you know, because I've heard it a lot by prime contractors that they'll say, you know, we don't want to jump into bed together right away. You know, we want, let's date a little while, right? You know, before you form a joint venture, let's get a couple of projects, maybe some small work together under our belt. Guess what? That takes some time to do. You're not going to like just see a solicitation open up in 30 days and basically have no relationship with it. Now, I won't say it hasn't happened, but it's going to be a lot harder to get that done and really have a a great thing at the ready. And maybe having that teaming partner or having the joint venture in place by the time the solicitation opens is going to be part of your procurement readiness plan or really going back to opportunity readiness plan. It's one of those things where I do feel like contractors believe this is their only shot. This might be my only opportunity, right? And that's just not true. There's so many opportunities that, yes, there are some that it's a five-year contract or whatever. We'll put that on your radar for later. But guess what? There are more opportunities out there. You don't have to feel like this is the only one, and if we don't chase it, we're locked out of the market forever. That's not the case. There's going to be another opportunity. There should be many opportunities every single month. And if you're struggling with that, then you've got to go back to your research and say, well, who else buys what I sell? Because maybe I'm looking too narrow or whatever, but there's opportunities coming out every single month. There's something you can chase. Use that as a learning experience for your next one. Absolutely, man. And just to kind of sum up, some of the things that we talked about, you mentioned uh, getting a checklist, you know, and I mentioned putting time on your side. What I would recommend to everyone is that if you either have just lost an opportunity, so maybe you're in that seat right now, you're like, that just happened to me, right? Maybe it didn't happen yet. It probably will happen. But what you could do to prevent that from happening is again, go back, do the market research, those of you guys who are, are working with you know, PTAC counselors out there or MBDA centers or anybody that's coaching you up, it could be a private coach that's coaching you up. You know, First thing that you want to do, get that market research done, identify the specific opportunity like historically. So like what historically was the most ideal opportunity? And it's like, say, this is what I want to do. Once you've got that and you can get that solicitation, do two things. First thing you do, if you want to print it out, print it out, but go through and read everything in that solicitation. Take a highlighter. I use a digital format and you know, I do this in my PDF software, but you can actually take a highlighter, highlight every instance of the word that says you shall, you will, you must, required, mandatory. Because these are things that you must give the government either in your solicitation or in the performance of the contract. So you want to make sure, number one, you're ready from the compliance perspective. 
And so when you do that exercise, it's going to really help you out to do that. What are your thoughts on that, Michael? There was a, I lost my thought for a second. There was a part two to that. Well, I've got, I've got two final thoughts for this. One is I do like going through the RFP, familiar yourself with all the requirements. Look for the FAR regulations that they put in there because every single one of these will tell you what FAR requirements are there. And so you can pull those out and familiarize yourself with the FAR sections that apply to what you're doing. And if you're a small business, if you are a specific set aside or whatever, there's specific areas of the FAR you can go look at for that as well. Familiarize yourself with that legal aspect of things. And then the second thing to kind of you know talk about what you were mentioning, like with the audit, if there is anything in your requirements checklist that is a third party, such as an audit, DCAA compliance, CMMC, there's so many different things that require a third party. Anything requiring a third party should be high on your list. If it's a status that you're going after a certification, if it's a GSA schedule and you're going after any of those sort of things that require something outside your business, because you can do a lot of things inside your business, like your research, registering on website, you can do all of that, and it's basically your time. But when you get a third party involved, in case nobody knew this, the government runs really slow. So anytime you submit paperwork to the government, it could be weeks if not months before you hear back. Last year, the government finally started catching up on GSA schedules, but I was telling our clients, look, if you need a GSA schedule, budget two years. It's going to take two years to get this freaking thing because that's how slow the government is right now in GSA. They've gotten a lot faster. I've seen some done in a few weeks versus years now. But other things like the audits and things like that, you may reach out to an accountant and decide, hey, this is who I want to go with. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be a month before we can start the process. And then it's going to take three months. So anything requiring a third party, prioritize that high on your list to get them engaged so that you can get the ball rolling because those things move so slow. And unfortunately, most of the contractors in the government space, consultants, you name it, move at the pace of the government. I don't move that way. If somebody needs help from us, I'm like, hey, if I can't help you, I'm going to have you assigned to a coach within the next 24 hours. Then that person's going to be meeting with you by early next week. We feel like you got to move faster than the government's pace in order to get stuff done. So yeah, those are my two big things. Familiarize yourself with stuff in the FAR. And if you got a third party that needs to be involved, get them involved early in the game. Absolutely. And be willing to invest in your business along the way. You know, yeah, it all costs money. If if you got to hire an accountant that's versed in GovCon or an attorney that's versed in GovCon or a specialized coach or or something, definitely use all of the resources that are free to you, you know, the PTACs, the BDAs. But, you know, there's going to come a time where your PTAC is not going to put together a joint venture for you. Your PTAC is not going to do audited financials for you. So if you want that future opportunity and you see that this is a requirement based upon the historical opportunity, well, you need to go ahead and get it done what you need to get done. Yep. The other couple of things that I was going to mention when I, I had a mind blank of, a while ago. So I mentioned going through and making a little checklist, highlighting all the words in a previous solicitation that said, you shall, you will, you must give us this, right? 
The second piece to that is to go into that and look at if it was a best value procurement, which means that the government has weighted factors on how they're going to grade your proposal, go into that evaluation criteria for award and read it very carefully. And basically create your own grade. Like if it says, hey, we want to see like how many jobs you've created and retained in the last year or how many construction projects. Like, for example, if you want to do a, a VA project, how many operating room constructions have you done? Because there's some special requirements to do build out work inside of a hospital or tenant improvements inside of a hospital. How many hospital jobs have you done, right? If you have none of those, your chances are going to be low. But if you have yourself enough time before the next one happens, it's like two years, you could start to say, hey, let's go and look for some hospital type work so we can get a few of these projects under our belts and show the past performance that we want to do to get this big $59 million contract. And then the last thing I will say about that, with that last solicitation in hand, if you go to your coach or your PTAC counselor or somebody you might be working with at the MBDA, I know a lot of the MBDA centers have a little advisement in this area. You have that opportunity in hand. Now you can use that as your case study and know exactly what you ask your coach or your counselor. Like, hey, what does this mean? What will it take to get this? And they can help you more specific to the opportunity that you're trying to get ready for. I'll leave with that, Michael. So thank you for joining us for this episode today. Remember, Gabology.com forward slash issues. If you want to either submit an issue that you're having or take part in a future show, you can register to join us in our Q&A. All right, everybody. I think we'll see you next time, right? Yep. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. We'll see you on the next episode. 